Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Grace Church tonight. All of you that are here with us on campus, it's great to see you. and We're honored that you would choose to spend your time with us tonight and join us for midweek Bible study. For those of you that are joining us via live stream, we'd like to say welcome to you as well. Just a few announcements this evening. Uh, first of all, Sunday the 27th is uh, the Move the Mission offering deadline. So if you have uh, plans to give something to Move the Mission that you haven't done yet, we ask that you please keep that deadline in mind. And also, Sunday, September 3rd, we will have a child dedication service. So if you have a child that you would like to have dedicated here at the church, please contact the church office uh, no later than this Friday, this Friday, if you would like to uh, take part in that. Amen. Um, I want to, first of all, give huge amounts of respect to Brother Dave Bunch for the message that he preached this past Sunday. Um, yeah. <laughs> Delivered with a, a lot of passion, uh, a lot of, a lot of study, um, and preached his guts out on Sunday. And uh, I needed to hear that, Brother Dave. I want you to know that. I needed to hear it. And I appreciate you preaching to me. And I think it struck a chord with a lot of people Sunday morning. So thank you for that. Before pastor comes this evening, uh, in the Bible, you know, the church is often referred to as the body of Christ. Uh, when Jesus was here on earth in his physical body, um, he once, while he was here on, on earth in his physical body, he, he wants what he did then to uh, continue with his followers today. We are the body of Christ here on earth in our time. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that uh, for just as each of us has one body, one body with many members, many parts of our body, and these members do not all have the same function, the finger, the toe, the eye, the ear, they all have a different function. Uh, he says, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, many different members, but one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we're all a part of each other, everybody. Everyone is needed in the body of Christ. It takes every one of us, every one of you, to make it complete. My mom likes to put together jigsaw puzzles. And my sister, who is a horrible person, likes to give her these jigsaw puzzles that are just demented. They are, they are deviously hard. And um, sometimes my mother um, kind of pulls me into those endeavors uh, she had a, a puzzle that she put together one time, and there was one piece missing out of a thousand pieces. And you know what you focus on? It's not the 999 other perfectly placed pieces. You focus on that one missing piece. And that's the way it is in the body of Christ. Everyone is needed. And if even one quote-unquote small piece is missing, uh, you notice it. And, and you know, people might say, well, I'm not, I'm not really all that significant in the body of Christ, Brother Jason. I'm just a toenail. Sister Casey, I'm just a toenail in the body of Christ. Have you ever lost a toenail? Uh-huh. I, I want to tell you, you'll notice it. Uh, I had about a third of a big toenail removed one time, and it was just a tiny part of my body. But I want you to know that I noticed that it was missing for about six to eight weeks. Never confuse prominence with significance. Something can be prominent, but not really significant. Uh, I don't know if you folks have noticed this about me, but my nose is pretty prominent. It's one of the first things that people notice whenever they see me. But it's not significant. It's not significant. I could lose my nose... And I could go on living for many years. Now, for the record, Jesus, I would prefer it just stay right where it is. But I could live without my nose being where it is. But there are other things that, uh, other parts of me that no one ever sees, uh, like my liver, <laughs> my heart, my lungs. Uh, they're not prominent, but they sure are significant. Uh, because if I lost them, I would, I would die. So you may not feel like you are very 
prominent in the body of Christ. But I want you to know you are very significant. All of you are significant. Christ's body here on earth, the writer of Romans said it has many parts and each one of them is needed and we belong to each other. So no matter who you are and what your role is in Christ's body, you have important work to do. Amen. Y'all think about it. God bless you this evening. Good evening, everybody. And uh, just for a note of trivia, I understand if you lose your entire toenail, it will take nine months to a year for it to grow back completely. So I feel all of you are enriched uh, to know that. So you're welcome. And uh, great to see all of you here tonight, as, as always. To our guest here tonight, welcome. So glad you're here. And uh, if I can just piggyback on to uh, Brother Jason's comments about Sunday. Uh, what a, an amazing, amazing service. And uh, I've mentioned to Brother Dave a couple of times since Sunday that I, I just really believe some strongholds were broken. And uh, there were things that happened here Sunday. The presence of God manifested himself in a way Sunday in ways that I have never seen before. And uh, I'm very, very thankful uh, for what happened here this past Sunday. <clears throat> In light of that, strongholds being broken, I have, a, um, I have an announcement. It's on my phone, if you'll bear with me for just a moment. We are bringing in a very special speaker. She will be here on Sunday morning, September the 17th. I'd like for everybody to make a note on your calendar. Uh, she is Dr. Rhea Cooper. She is a licensed professional counselor in Lafayette. She will be our, that, the speaker for that Sunday morning. She owns a private practice and provides counseling services to clients of all ages with a focus on anxiety, depression, and trauma. Um, God has given her a calling. She is apostolic. Uh, I believe she attends uh, Brother Derek Weber's church in Lafayette. Uh, but God has given her a calling and a very strong passion to bring more awareness of mental health in the community and churches to increase wellness in mind, body, and spirit. I, wanted, I want to announce this. I'll mention it again Sunday, Lord willing. Um, I'd like for all of our church to be here to hear her. Um, she is going to address a part of our makeup, which is our mind. Uh, and the New Testament talks a lot about the mind does. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And um, it's a very important topic. You can, you can have your heart in the kingdom, but your mind can be somewhere else. And people have proven that through the years. So she's here to address, um, she will come to address uh, a, probably a smorgasbord of things. Uh, there's something going on. I don't, I don't know what it is tonight, but uh, it feels like I'm talking to the wall. Uh, is everybody listening? I heard a resounding yes from where there's a tremendous amount of commotion, and I don't know what's, what's happening right now. But anyway, um, this is an important announcement, and there's going to be about eight people that's going to tell me after it comes and goes, well, I didn't know. Well, you're not listening. Um, she will be focusing some on anxiety, depression, uh, loneliness, uh, trauma, things of that nature that, that people have such a difficult time. My goal, and I discussed this with her on the phone, depending on how she comes and presents and how we receive it, uh, she is wide open to coming back for some seminar type things on a Saturday, that kind of thing, uh, to help all of us 
with things that we struggle with. One of her big focuses is burnout, uh, leadership burnout. I would love for her to do a seminar on leadership burnout. Um, so September 17th, Sunday morning at 11. Uh, you'll want to be here. Um, I know there's a lot of marital issues that have to do with anxiety, uh, people with anxiety, with depression, loneliness, all of that. She can help. So make plans to be here. Um, there's been a number of people that have asked me about, consider, about, about considering doing something like this. And um, uh, so here we are. So it'll be a great opportunity uh, for us to just get some knowledge and some clarity on some things. And I believe God will use her mightily uh, to help our church. <clears throat> so remember that. Um, I want to make a presentation tonight. Uh, my title is a little bit different. Um, you'll understand why that is after I get into this for a few minutes. Um, but tonight I want to talk to you about soul winning. I want to talk to you about fellowship. And I want to talk to you about prayer. Um, I may get preachy tonight. And um, I don't know how this is going to end. I have a goal. But I want to be open to the will and, and plan of God. And um, I would like to ask everybody, um, if you could just set this aside for just give me about 35, 40 minutes. I'd appreciate it. Um, it, it would be very nice. <clears throat> I want to begin tonight by saying and making a very redundant statement, and all of us know it. We live in a very busy world, a world that is filled with distractions, a world that is being torn apart with any kind of focus on, on if you want to try to focus on anything, there's always something in the headlines, blitzing all day long, all night long, we know that. And it seems like the lives of people more and more are just spinning out of control. Um, however, I'm very happy to present that it is in these times that I have to remind myself and I'll remind all of us here tonight of a, that, that God is preparing for all of us an incredible future. I believe an incredible future for our family, uh, for our church, but it's going to require you and I focusing on the right things. To focus on the right things, this is going to be a visionary type presentation tonight. And for us to be able to focus on the right thing, everybody say focus. If I could get a little more focus here tonight, it would, it would make this better. Um, if you want to be able to focus on positive things, on the kingdom, etc., it's going to take some discipline, and it's going to take some accountability. It does. If you're going to make it and keep a focus to experience a wonderful, a better future, then it's going to require some discipline and accountability. Discipline and accountability requires letting things of the past go. You discipline and be accountable for what's present and for what's in the future. And I believe tonight that if we can stay focused, if we can keep a focus, I believe that God has a wonderful future for our church and for all of our families. And everybody said amen. So living in a world that is pulling us in a hundred different directions, staying focused, easy task, keeping focused on God and the work of His kingdom will require, it does require, that we lay aside many of the less profitable things that we do all day, all week, all month, etc., and set our mind on more important things. I believe tonight that to be visionary, to plan for a better future, to plan for, uh, to have better vision, if you could give up 
a bunch of trivial things and prioritize just a few things. You don't trade a trivial thing for an important thing. Then you get as bogged down as you were before. But just determine that there's just pick top three, three things that, that are important for you and your relationship with God and do that and, and refuse to be distracted. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans laid out his future plans to the church. He had already given a great exposition of the gospel in the preceding chapters of Romans. And now toward the end of the book, he details what he would like to attempt to do in the future. And I'm going to take a moment to read that in Romans 15, verse 14 through 21. I know Paul is a difficult writer and sometimes challenging to understand, but listen to the word of God. He said, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have, therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath wrought by me, hath not wrought by me, excuse me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Al-Rakam, uh, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they shall have not, have not heard, and shall understand. This is a long presentation of the scripture, and I understand that. But he concludes by saying that I strive to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I build upon another man's salvation our foundation, but it is written, I want to go to people who've never seen, who's never heard it, who don't understand. That's my focus for the rest of my ministry. I want to present to you tonight that from now and for always, but I, for just for the sake of context tonight and what I want to present, especially from now to the end of this year, we preached, uh, and as a matter of fact, I presented I'm coming, we're coming, he's coming. We've all heard that and it's lasted. The wave of that has lasted far longer than I anticipated. But I want to pick up tonight and the I'm coming theme and I want to present this and specify it to these three areas that I've talked about that I mentioned to you a moment ago. Those that are lost and unchurched. Those uh, that we need to fellowship and to conclude this tonight with prayer. If there's any way we could say, I'm coming, and then manifest it, it would be first to the lost, second in fellowship, third in prayer. So let me present to you tonight for a moment the lost. Even after have written a glowing explanation of the gospel to the church at Rome, Paul comes to the end and seeks to bring the Romans' minds back into the focus on the lost. The Romans were constantly looking for knowledge. But Paul is trying to remind them that their knowledge of God is given to them so they will be equipped to reach the lost. Paul intimates to me in this scripture setting that I just read. It's almost redundant to just keep teaching the gospel over and over and over to people who have heard it over and over and over. The next step, everybody say the next step, is to take what we know, what we've learned, and give it to people who have never heard it before. Everybody say amen. 
So in this very brief presentation tonight, I'm going to look for five people that will help me in this area. That means when, I want to be very specific here. That means when we have people come visit our church that are unchurched, even backslidden. Uh, I don't like terms that sound so harsh and, and judgmental, but they're away from God. They're not serving God. Maybe they did at one point in their life, but they're not now. But to find out who they are and go after them. I'm going to give you two conduits tonight in a minute on a method to do that. But to go after those people. I don't want anybody here tonight to think that, well, this part of this presentation is going to fit so-and-so really well. They will do it. I can see so-and-so jumping all over this. I can see our youth group jumping all over this. No, I'm talking to everybody here tonight. There's no exceptions tonight. We have enough knowledge, all of us do, to present to somebody some biblical format of what they need to do to be right with God. And where you may feel a little shaky in that, what you do have is a testimony. What you do have is a testimony. What you do have is a testimony. Thank the Lord. In this portion of Scripture, Paul calls himself two things. The first of which is a minister. Everybody say a minister. There are several words used in the Scripture that translate into minister or servant. But in this case, Paul used a Greek word. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it but it's where we get the English word liturgy from. Paul did not call himself just any kind of minister or servant, but under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he used a specific word that relates to the idea of a minister serving in sacred duties. Another way of putting it is a person who works in the service of the temple. You would consider that person a sacred servant. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. If you really want to be that person that God wants you to be, that God calls you to be, then you will no longer be shy or timid about sharing the God that you've professed faith in with somebody else that needs to know about Him. You could become that sacred servant, that sacred servant, that sacred servant, not just a church attender, not just a church member, not someone who boasts because they live in holiness, but someone who is so thankful for the impact that Jesus has made in their life. When I see someone else who's broken and disturbed and bothered by sin and culture and all the stuff, I want to tell them about the God that came and rescued my family, that ministered to my parents, that helped my friend, that did this for, my, for, for me and, and for scores of others that I know. Folks, we have a testimony that we can share with people who need to know about Jesus. Let's become that sacred servant. And thinking and preparing for this presentation, you'll understand why I've asked for five. Because I'm, go I'm going somewhere with that. You say, why didn't you ask for everybody? I know the challenge that it is for people to become soul winners. I know the challenge that it is for people to testify there seems to be some degree of shyness among apostolics. There seems to be some degree of uh, feeling like I'm not smart enough, intelligent enough, or whatever. But what I can't remind you of enough, and I don't want to be repetitive tonight, is whether you know anything about the Bible or not, you know about Jesus, and you know what He can do in the lives of men and women. Folks, can we reach a point? Can I get five people here tonight that says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm looking for five sacred servants here tonight that says, I'll take what God has done for me, and I'll give it away to somebody who's never experienced the power and the joy and the peace and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord. In reality, Paul was calling himself a priest. A priest is someone who mediates between God 
at his people. This is what you do when you're a soul winner. I'll remind you again of the old song, Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. I want to be a mediator, God. I want to speak on their behalf. They don't know you, and they may not know how to pray, but I know you, and I know how to pray. And God, I'm going to do my best to pray on my behalf so you never forget that person. You'll remember that person. You'll talk to that person. You'll deal with that person. You'll love that person. Sacred servant, a priest. A priest is someone who mediates between God and his people. Most of us are uncomfortable with the term priest. Here in our culture, specifically here in Louisiana, we conjure up images of men in black clothing with a white collar. If you have some Bible knowledge, you consider the Old Testament priests that did strange things and lived a strange life and was secluded and what have you. This is not, however, an accurate picture of what the New Testament refers to as a priest, which all of us are, that sacred servant. We must realize that the priesthood was not done away with, but it was transformed according to 1 Peter 2.9, and we all know the verse, but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood. I want you to understand the priesthood of the Old Testament came from a man's father and then his father and his father. But our status of priest in the New Testament don't come from my daddy. It didn't come from my grandfather. It comes from the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And when you're baptized in the Spirit of God, you take on that role. It doesn't mean wearing funny garments and doing strange things. It just simply means being an ambassador and representing the kingdom of God. God in this world. I feel the presence of the Lord here tonight. Praise God. When you read 1 Peter 2 9, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, and so forth, that you should show forth the praises of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Paul draws most of this passage from the book of Exodus, chapter 19. Where God declares his desire that all of his people should be priests and not just those men of the tribe of Levi. The Hebrew people were to be priests. They were to glorify the name of the Lord among those nations that didn't know him. Imagine the scale and proportion of one tiny nation called Israel having such a mighty manifestation of God that the whole world would come to know God through that one nation. You say, I don't see how that's possible. How do you think we ended up with the Holy Ghost in Baton Rouge, Louisiana? It all started 2,000 years ago in a little old tiny upper room with 120 people. God knows how to spread the gospel. He knows how to pour out His Spirit. He just needs somebody to start talking about it. Hallelujah. So our role is not much different in the New Testament. We are to proclaim and glorify God's name among all the nations. Jesus put the concept of proclaiming New Testament priests in some beautiful terms. He said, we're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. We're fishers of men. The sacred servant, you and I, are not to be just confined to one place, but God desires that you go out of this building and share the gospel of Jesus Christ to your friends and neighbors and communities. I need five people. Most of us have soul winning kind of backwards. We set our minds to witnessing to someone and it just turns out turns into an argument about the Godhead or holiness. It does. I've heard more people come and say, Pastor, I witnessed to somebody today and they say, well, why do the women in your hair, in your church, don't cut their hair and all that kind of stuff? It always ends up there. We need to learn how to take that and just do a, a call it a Pastor Murphy sweep. I had lunch with someone Tuesday, a, a, a pastor friend. I wanted to tell him something. I said, let me, get you, let me give you some context. He said, I know. I've talked to you long enough, and I know I like, you like to give context. I make this big, long, wide sweep and go way around and then come right back to where I started and then redirect again and go in the direction I want to go. We need to learn how to do that. I'm not going to fuss with people about things that 
they're not there yet in their relationship with God, and they're not going to understand it anyway. I've, I've had too many people walk away because I tried to explain and, and what have you, and I've learned from doing that mistake. I'm not here to talk to you about the Godhead and go through some theological debate or to debate with you on holiness and all the cultural stuff going on. What I want to tell you, what I want to tell you is there's a relationship with God you can have that's genuinely real, that's genuinely powerful. And we'll cross the Godhead later and we'll tackle the subject of holiness later. But for right now, I just want to tell you about Jesus. Come on, folks. I just need five people. Just five people and say, Pastor, I'll do it. God, I'll do it. I'll do that. I'll be that person be that person this is what Paul is basically saying to the church at Rome in verse 18 he speaks he says to not speak of anything except Christ and what he has accomplished through you in verse 19 he says that all he did all he did was to preach the gospel why because he had already established in Romans chapter 1 what the gospel was they understood it was the power of God unto salvation they understood that. There's no point in repeating it over and over and over again. I taught our doctrine. I taught apostolic doctrine first part of this year. I've taught these things. I've, I've, I've taught holiness on numerous levels through it. We all understand it. We don't all do it, but we all know it. I didn't mean to so quickly be a human fire extinguisher tonight, but it's true. He used the same thing when he was writing to the Corinthian church. First and second Corinthians. He said he was determined not to know anything among them except Christ and him crucified. You know who was qualified to debate all these subjects was Paul. He was brilliant out of his mind, but he refused to debate with people. The Corinthians would ultimately build their faith on Christ and not on Paul. We need to be ready to tell others what Jesus has done for us and how he changed our lives for the better. If we were not in the habit of doing this, I would suggest you write down your testimony and practice it over and over until God opens a door. This will help you stay focused on people who are unchurched and need God so badly. The second thing that I'm striving for tonight is fellowship. I asked 55 people to help me with lost people. I'm going to ask 50 to help me with fellowship. Fellowship is rich at Grace Church. Fellowship is often at Grace Church. Fellowship is a priority at Grace Church. There's many times that when we meet back here at 11 with the praise team and musicians and such to to come in, I have literally have to interrupt good, good quality fellowship. Hey, 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 hey. Y'all pick it up after church. We need to start church tonight. They know that. And I feel bad in doing it. On Wednesday nights oftentimes, even Sunday mornings, you, you just kind of don't want to interrupt the fellowship. This church fellowship, they love fellowship. It's important that we love fellowship. I have a scripture reading. I'm not going to read it right now. But it's in Romans 15, verses 22 through 29. Paul talks about the importance of of fellowship. So what is fellowship? And you're probably thinking, what does this have to do with the loss? I'm glad you're thinking that because I'm fixing to come to that. What is fellowship? Is it just coming to church? Is it gathering together in the fellowship hall? <laughs> I've heard people say that you might be a Pentecost, you might be a Pentecostal if the word fellowship makes you think of a restaurant. I don't particularly have any problems with that reputation, as most of you know and can tell. Someone said, how in the world did the early church fellowship without coffee and donuts? I wondered how they fellowshiped without Wingstop. I mean, I've often wondered how further the gospel would have been along in its progress if they had just had Wingstops back then. Amen. So... There are several words that relate to fellowship. And we can, we can think of fellowship as communion and sharing and participation and giving. But what is fellowship? I think the Bible covers 
fellowship from the point of view of, of the words that I just mentioned. Communion, sharing, participation, giving, and so on. But the, the, the definition of fellowship that I want to focus on tonight, and you'll see it on the screen, it's the common participation in something either by giving what you have to someone or the other person receiving what he or she has. That's fellowship. Now, what do you think that has to do with lost, unchurched people? What if you had fellowship with somebody that used to go to XYZ church or never went to church at all, and you just start breaking the bread of life to them and, and, and telling them, man, I, I remember that miracle I had in my life a, a couple years ago, and I, I remember that miracle I had in my life five years ago. I remember that financial miracle. I remember that marital miracle. I remember that parental miracle. I remember when God healed my kids and touched my kids. I remember the miracle. Whatever the miracle is, and just start telling the story. If they're hungry, if they're open, you'll see tears start welling up in their eyes. You'll see them start staring at you intently with this expression of, tell me more. That's what people, that's how hungry people respond. If they don't respond to you, fine. Don't forget about them. Keep praying for them, but move on to someone else. It's not hard. I know Grace Church. I know most everybody in this building tonight. I know most everybody in this building tonight pretty well. And there ain't very many people that come here that have trouble talking. There are some people that I've often wondered how they got married. They don't ever talk. I don't know how you asked your wife to marry you. I don't know how you did it. Did you write it down? Did you look at her in a certain way and she understood and you just said, you, you got to open your mouth and talk. I understand. But not at this church. There's people that talk to you outside in the parking lot tonight till midnight. They sure will if you let them. Why y'all get quiet all of a sudden? Ladies? I, you know what it is? Y'all all are thinking, well, he's talking about me. I am. You're those people. Casey called us one Wednesday night just, just several weeks ago. It was like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And said, we just got home. And Sister Burp said, where have y'all been? So we've been out in the church parking lot talking to people. And there you go. We know how to talk. We know how to communicate is the point. When you have an opportunity to talk to somebody that needs Jesus, tell them what God has done for you instead of instead of telling them about all your problems and how horrible your kids are and how horrible your husband is and how horrible your wife is and how horrible your judge forget about all that tell them about how wonderful Jesus is present that and do it in a very kind way and and, and fellowship with them giving them what you have so therefore, fellowship is more than coming to church. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. Fellowship means sharing, participating, communing with believers outside of the church setting. It also means communing and participating and sharing with people who need Jesus. Do y'all believe we can do this? I believe we can do it. I believe we can do it. So if you're nervous about being a soul winner with that title. Just be a fellowshipper. Kind of come in the back door of that concept. There's two examples in Romans 15, 26, and 27. I didn't read that tonight, but you can read it later if you choose to. There's two things we can share with people. They're spiritual things. Paul is talking about the gospel. The church had begun at Pentecost with a group of Jews in Jerusalem. Now the church would become witnesses to the world, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, part of fellowship with God and his body is sharing the gospel with those who do not know it. But then you can share physical things. The New Testament church held very loosely to their possessions. 
As a matter of fact, in Acts 2, the Bible said they had all things in common. A spirit of unity and chemistry here that is unbelievable. That doesn't mean they just put their possession, took their possessions and put it in a big pot. But rather the early church practiced fellowship by being willing to share what they had with others as a way of exposing them to Jesus. The more I get into this, the quiet. I had a little, had a little something going on when I first started, and it just keeps. What this means is, take a friend, somebody you work with, and invite them out to lunch. You're going to lunch anyway, and he or she probably is. Hopefully do this same sex. Don't, if you're a man, don't take the woman out at work. That, that wouldn't be good. Um, but you know what I mean. I hope you know what I mean. But take somebody out to lunch, and you treat them. I heard two rights. You treat them. You say, well, I don't have the money. That's a great way for God to bless you. When you do it for the kingdom, God's not going to take that money and keep it. He will give it back to you many times over. Amen. Um, so you treat them. You share the things with them. If it's an other elderly person that, that you work with, and go mow their yard for them one summer so they don't have to pay the guy $50 to, to come do it. There's things we can do that lets our light shine. But you just have to be willing to give yourself to it just a little bit. And if you do, you feel better. Your conscience feels better. And you have sown a seed of the goodness of God into someone else. These people did not consider themselves the owners of anything, but rather stewards of God's gifts. When we speak of fellowship, we're really speaking of sharing and participating in things we hold in common, our spiritual blessing and our physical blessing. Look closely at what Paul is really doing in the book of Romans. I believe he is dealing with some very specific problems in the Roman church. One being a problem with unity and fellowship. The bulk of chapters 12 through 16, if you will. And even when he closes the book, he warns the Romans to be careful of those who would seek to destroy the fellowship and the unity of the church. He said, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Don't fellowship with people that's going to bring you down to where they are. That's counterproductive. It's these little Pentecostal girls that want to date Boys that and take the girls to bars and all that and say, well, I'm just trying to win them. No, you're not. You'll be drinking with them in a little while. Don't do that. You have to be careful and discreet in these things that I'm talking about tonight. The major purpose then of writing the book of Romans is to try to preserve the fellowship and the unity of the church. He went on to say, now to him that is a power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Paul solves the problem of people not wanting to be in unity and fellowship by refocusing on the gospel. One of the greatest ways we can bring unity, even more unity to Grace Church is to share testimonies with each other about respective people we're trying to reach. The gospel is the center of all that we do as a church. When we get off center, we lose our identity as a Christian and as a church. When we get off center, we'll lose the beauty of fellowship and the church will be in chaos. We do not rally around a person, place, or philosophy. We rally around the gospel so I've asked for five people to help me reach the lost I've asked for 50 to fellowship my third point is I'm asking for everybody it's surely something everybody can do and that is prayer we'll be starting up weekly prayer here at Grace Church in just a few days I believe it starts Sister Landry right after Labor Day that's Tuesday morning prayer every Tuesday morning and uh then we'll go back to our uh, weekly or once a month Tuesday night prayer that's church-wide. I wonder what would happen 
if the Tuesday morning prayer, prayer meeting doubled in attendance, tripled in attendance. It's amazing that we don't have time to come to prayer, but we have time to do other things while prayer is going on. It's not a matter of time, it's a matter of priority. And if we could understand how powerful and effectual prayer is. There's a little girl was visiting the church for the first time and she noticed that at one point in the service everyone got quiet and bowed their heads. She looked at her mom and asked, what is everybody doing? And her mom replied, they're praying. The little girl responded and said, without their pajamas on. Her interpretation of prayer is what you do only before you go to bed at night with your pajamas on. What is our interpretation of prayer? Need everybody to help us pray. On Tuesday night, when we have prayer on Tuesday night, our entire church should be here. It, it discourages me sometimes, it wearies me sometimes when people call and ask me to ask the church to pray for something on their behalf at Tuesday night prayer when they're at home watching television but can't come. If it's that urgent, then why don't you come and pray about your need? I'm not discouraging anybody from coming to pray uh, or to ask in prayer, but I know there's too many times when it's, hey, would y'all pray for this? Would y'all pray for that? But you're not praying. You want someone to do your praying for you. It's better when you do it. We have to be focused more on just bedtime prayers and pre-meal prayers and these kind of things. Prayer is really a time of refocusing on what's important to the kingdom. In prayer, we receive forgiveness for our sins, direction for our day, and ultimately it helps us to put the busy, hectic, chaotic world into perspective. So in conclusion tonight, you stand with me. So in conclusion, Jesus is the focus of all that we do. When we focus on lost, unchurched people, we're really focusing on Jesus by telling them about him. When we focus on fellowship, we're really focusing on Jesus because we're ministering to his beloved people. When we focus on prayer, we're really focusing on Jesus because we are in communication with him. At the end of it all is Jesus. As we focus on the laws, fellowship, and prayer, we're declaring that we have a focus on the future. We're declaring that we have a focus on reaching the lost. It ensures the future of this congregation. Fellowship with each other ensures that disciples are, are made to do the work of the church. And prayer is the glue, the adhesive that holds all of our futures together. We're not here tonight because nobody was a soul winner. We're not here tonight because nobody fellowshiped. We're not here tonight because nobody prayed. That's the reason we're all here tonight is because there were people long before us that prayed their heart out, that sobbed and travailed and interceded, that God would bring people to his kingdom. So here we are. So let's give the same gift back to generations following us. Sister Murph and I were talking today uh, about our youth group. I love these, these students. I, I love these students. But we concluded today that this youth group is here on the backs of committed parents. If we've noticed a stark difference between this group and others, that we've experienced in, in, in the Baker Church and even here, here in Central, is we've never had a youth group with parents like this youth group has, where mom and dad both love God, where mom and dad both are committed, where both mom and dad both want to serve in the kingdom and so on. What about the next generation? Is the next generation going to be as dynamic or more dynamic than this one because mom and dad are still soul winning, they're still fellowshipping, they're still praying, are we losing that or are we gaining that? Are we doing better at that or are we doing worse at that? I want to say tonight, I want to proclaim that I believe Grace Church is an amazing place. But we can be better. We can do better. We can go more. We can give more. And certainly we have time to do the will and purpose of God. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. And again... And I'm, I'm done. 
Baptist, please don't shy away from people who, who used to go to church. I'm going to be very bold here tonight. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to don't jump to a conclusion when I say what I'm about to say because I'm going to follow up with something else. But I believe tonight if there's people that were formerly apostolic that are not apostolic anymore, they don't go to church anymore, I believe they're a fair game for any church to go after. I pray if there's people that used to attend this church that can't come back to this church, I pray that somebody from another church will go get them. They need to be in the kingdom. It's not where you go to church. It's where you're not you're in the kingdom of God or not. That's what's important to me. So I'm going to ask you folks, if they're unchurched, now if they go to church somewhere, leave them alone. Those are the easier ones to get, right? They got all their stuff straight. We just need to proselyte them over here. We don't do that here. We don't do that here. But if they're not going to church, Fair game, baby. Go after them. In Jesus' name, go after them. Help them build bridges in their conflicts. Help them put their lives together and let the will of God, the purpose of God, be made manifest in them. Thank the Lord. Can we pray together in conclusion and ask God to help us tonight? Father, we love you. Thank you for this amazing time. Thank you, God, for your word that guides us, your spirit that, that encourages us, that comforts us. It gives us such power. And I pray, God, tonight that you would move and bless in this wonderful, wonderful church of people that love you. Yes, they do. They love you. They're committed to you. But, God, help us to take that next step and to share what you've done with us, for us, with those that need to hear it, that could be blessed by it. Give us wisdom. Give us power. Give us courage. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Thank the Lord. Greet somebody. Greet our guest here tonight. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning. Come back with your shouting shoes on Sunday morning. Thank the Lord.